Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much. Good word. Good word. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning. What a good day. It's been a long time since I've actually addressed you from right here. I'm excited about what God's given me today. Actually, what I'm going to share with you today, he gave me in May, but I've just been holding out because I liked hearing Scott preach. So uh, today is uh, the day I'm going to share with you what God has given me. So in recent years, society has chosen the method of how to connect with one another, mostly through texting. I would here say that almost everyone in the room today, even some of the younger ones, know how to text. Parents are texting, children are instant messaging, and teenagers are texting why they instant message. Currently, about half of American families will confess that they text each other why in the same house. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen at your house. So we have smartphones and social networking and streaming and media and, and parents and children. We've learned to live independently of each other socially. Now, growing up, if I wanted to talk to a friend, I used the one telephone that was on the wall. Now, I know I just lost half the audience right there. <laughs> that was on the wall that hung in the kitchen with a really, really long cord that didn't quite reach the bedroom. And my parents knew every word I was going to say. And if I wanted to listen to my music, well, I played it on the house stereo, and everybody had to enjoy Bruce Springsteen and the Eagles. But then I knew that my dad would get his turn as well, and come Sunday morning, we'd be listening to the Florida Boys and the Cathedrals. And if I wanted to watch my favorite TV show, you had to call it. Do you remember calling it? Yeah, as long as uh, there wasn't a great sporting event on TV that your dad and brother overruled. Well, children and parents today, they can listen to their own music, they can watch their own favorite websites, they can watch anything they want, streaming it, and live completely independent of one another for their entertainment. About 50% of parents surveyed admitted this, that in order to communicate better with their children, to feel closer to their children, to keep track of their children, parents friend their children on Facebook. To which the children reply, ooh, no way. I don't want my parents to be my friend. Now, sociologists and educators have encouraged family to do one simple thing to make their connection stronger as a family. Do you know what that one thing has been? It's not turn off your phone, sorry. It's eat together. The issue isn't if we need to eat more. <laughs> sorry. The issue is we need to eat together. The family dine, dining time might seem a little outdated in this fast food age we live in, but there's still something very important about how a meal brings people together. Now this morning, we are going to come to the Lord's table together, and we share and celebrate communion with the intention of connecting to one another. Now when we come to the Lord's table when we share communion, it should change us. It shouldn't just be something we do. Oh, first sign of the month, church, cha-ching, communion, check off. No, it shouldn't be that way. When we participate in communion, it should really, really change us. See, it's not why we came to church this morning. It's not why we came to church this morning. 
is to be changed? Is that not what God wants to do in these moments when we're together, is to change us? Today, God wants us to reflect on one thing. God, what do you have to say to me? So what does God want to say to you this morning? Maybe he's already said it as we've heard that praise. But I still think he's got more to say to us this morning. Just not individually, but corporately. So I just want to say up front, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not sure if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's no pressure today. You don't have to take communion with us. Don't worry about that. It's okay. But we are inviting anyone in this room this morning who is a follower of Jesus Christ, and you know that you are, to participate in communion with us in a little while. Now, as you entered the sanctuary this morning, you received a packet that included a wafer and a cup. If you did not get one, raise your hand, and the ushers will come right now and make sure that you get one. So just keep your hand up. Balcony is saying there's people up there to serve you. Now, don't open them yet. And children, you, I mean, parents, you might want to take your child's because they're going to want to open this. And so you might want to hold on until it's time, okay? And in a little while, we're going to, first of all, we're going to take the wafer together, which represents the bread. And then a little bit later in the service, we're going to take the cup together, which represents the blood of Jesus. So the top tab will release your wafer when it's time. And then that bottom tab will release the juice when it's time. And I'll kind of instruct you as we go along. Now, communion is a very sacred thing that we do. And each time that we participate in communion, we should be renewed. Communion is not how often we take it. There are no rules from the Bible of how often we take communion. But communion does carry a very specific meaningfulness. And that's what we need to focus on. So this morning, we had um, one of our uh, preteens read scripture for us, and thank you for that passage from 1 Corinthians. And on the screen, you see just a little bit of that. Now, I want to give you a little background of this scripture. Um, what you see on the screen was written sometime around 55 AD. Now, the event is referring to Paul. And he is, I mean, the, the, the author of this is Paul in 1 Corinthians, but he's referring back to something that happened to Jesus in around 33 A.D. So the, the, the scripture that he's referring to, the, the story, is from 33 A.D., but Paul is writing this in 55 A.D. The reason that's important is that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were all written later than this, this letter. So actually, Paul was the first one to record the words of Jesus. I think that's important as we set this up today. So you notice in verse 23 that Paul says, For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. Jesus Christ gave Paul these very words to pass on to the church before the Gospels were written. Now Paul had traveled to Corinth, and he had started a church there. And now Paul's been away for about five years. So he uses letters to address the church, and it's called the Church of Corinth. And he uses these letters to address their challenges, and they had a lot of challenges. Uh, the Church of Corinth, they had all different kinds of people in their congregation, and those people were at all different kinds of spiritual levels. Uh, these people had a lot of baggage, a lot of addictions and vices, a lot of spiritual mishaps, and as a result, they kind of had a messy church. 
messy people, messy church. And here Paul is addressing one of the misuses that they are doing in the church, and it's the misuse of observing communion. Now, communion was intended to be a very joyous occasion, a celebration. Now, this is something maybe we should bring back. They always included a potluck. Huh, that'd be kind of fun the first Sunday of every month. It was very joyful. They, uh, they called this potluck that they had when they did communion as a love feast. But some were gorging themselves at the potluck, while others barely got anything to eat. And then before they ever got to the Lord's table, many were getting drunk on the wine that would be used for communion. So it was kind of a fiasco of a feast when they came to the Lord's table. What was supposed to be something to bring them together and unify them as a church was creating separation, smallness, and a lack of perception and discernment. What had happened to Corinth at that time is that they had allowed the church to become and reflect their society. And that was moving into the church. Now, as I said, Paul's referring to another story, a different time. He's referring back to Jesus in 33 AD. And Jesus is now celebrating the Passover. He's invited his disciples to join him for the Passover meal. The table is set, the meal's prepared, and they are getting ready to enjoy the Passover. And the Passover is a very, very important celebration to the Jewish people. It's a time to remember. And so they were remembering how God had delivered the Jews from Pharaoh and out of Egypt. It was that final plague, the plague of death. The plague of death would kill the firstborn of every household. Yet we know that the Jewish boys would be spared as the households ate that unleavened bread and as they painted the blood of the lamb on the door frames of their house. And that's exactly what happened. The death angel swept over Egypt. The Egyptians, the firstborn, died. With the Jews, the firstborn stayed alive. It broke Pharaoh's heart, and he told the people to go, get out, be free. Now, this instituted Passover, which started in the book of Exodus, has been carried over and over and over throughout the years, and now we have Jesus celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. They are celebrating deliverance, freedom. It's a joyous occasion. And on this occasion, on this night, Jesus does something different. His followers have no idea that he's going to die in the next 12 hours. But Jesus takes the things that Jewish people knew as common as part of a celebration, and he goes to a whole new level. He takes the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. This cup is the new covenant of my blood. In this moment, Jesus invites his followers to never forget redemption that is happening through his body and his blood. Just as God had delivered the Egyptians, God was now going to bring a new deliverance, not only for the disciples, but for all of us today. The old was gone, a new law was coming, a new law filled with love. So Jesus then continues with these words, and then Jesus says something. He says, remember. Huh. He's going to die in a few short hours, and the last thing he says to them is, don't forget me? Why do, do this in remembrance of me, 
Why do we know this word so well? Well, it's, it's, we see it every Sunday on the front of the communion table. We hear it the first Sunday of every month when we participate in communion. And the thing is, Jesus didn't say it once, he said it twice. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember me when you do this. So what are we supposed to remember? Now, most of my life, I thought we were to remember the process, the process of dying. I remember as a child being in church and we sang the hymn with communion that was, there was a fountain filled with blood. And as a child, that was kind of scary. But that's what we sang when we had communion. So I thought growing up, I was supposed to remember how much it hurt. I remember going to teen camp, and on the Thursday night of teen camp, every year we had communion. But the speaker would always go through all the agony that Jesus had to suffer for me. And so as I would get ready to take communion as a teenager, I would try to feel guilt and shame and unworthiness. And I carried that through my life every time that I was going to have communion. And the one thing that overtook me every time I received communion was, I am so unworthy. I am so unworthy because of the process of how he died. But I'm not sure that's what Jesus is telling us to remember. Could it be that Jesus is telling us to remember not how hard it was, the process, but really the purpose of why he died? Maybe he's saying, don't ever forget just how forgiven you really are. Now that puts a whole different spin on things. That makes it pretty exciting to receive communion. You know, we don't deserve to participate in this. No one deserves it. No one can earn it. The question is, do we remember that Jesus has forgiven us? Do we remember that the symbols of the blood and the bread, the bread and the wine, do we remember that it's who we are? It's who we are in Christ. So Jesus said in his life in John chapter 6, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Bread is not a symbol of brokenness. Bread is a symbol of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So when we take the bread, let's remember these things. Jesus is the strength of our life. Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our provider. Jesus is our nourishment. Jesus makes us worthy. We are complete because of the body of Christ. So we, we ask ourselves the question, do I live in the process of his death or do I live in the purpose of his death? I agree. I agree the process is important. In Romans 6.23 it says, for the wages of death is sin. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life for all who believe in him. Death was required for the penalty. But I don't think that's where Jesus wants us to stay. For look at these verses in Ephesians. That you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance for this holy people, and his uncomparable great power for those who believe. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not yourself. It is a gift from God. So, 
As we take the bread today, I want you to remember that you are forgiven. Remember that he has welcomed us into his presence. Remember that we have intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Remember that we are worthy because he made us worthy. Remember that you are completely and unconditionally loved. Jesus died so that we could come and dine with him. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there might, there might be someone here today who says, I'm not a follower. This would be a really good day for you to step into that love. Even today, as we begin to go into the act of, of receiving the bread, I have good news for you. You might think, I can't get my act cleaned up enough to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The good news is, Jesus likes us to come messy. Jesus likes us to come just as we are, unworthy. Because only he can make us worthy. I invite you today. If today's your day, wow. Just say, you know what? I'm giving it up. I'm believing. I'm letting Jesus change me. And the rest of us, we're going to celebrate today that he has changed us. We're going to have a prayer. If you'll take out the, the wafer at this time. And I'm going to pray for the wafer. And then the um, worship arts is going to sing a song. And during this song, any time during this song, Partake of the wafer on your own. And during this song, I want you to zero in on a word here. It says in the song, Jesus came to love me. Jesus came to make a way for me. His love has set me free. Take the wafer today in celebration. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we are complete in you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross God, we, we realize the death. We realize the penalty of sin. We realize that it was required for our trespasses. But God, we understand through the broken body of Jesus, we are free. We are delivered. We sing with joy. We celebrate who we are. We could never be worthy on our own, but you make us worthy. And today we celebrate the righteousness and the goodness and the love that you provide for us. Yes, God, we know that Christ, the process was difficult, but the purpose was worth it.